Hey guys, this is Naeem, and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community, and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there, and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome to Mosaic. I'm so glad to see your faces as best I can see them through these lights. But it's great. I'm glad you're here. If you're not on site, you're tuning in live stream. Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, it's going to be a great week, right? This is going to be, am I the only one counting down the days? I guess I am. Okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thanksgiving. All right. Yeah, there's some excited people here, but the rest of you are like, "Uh, it's that week that I have to go back to that dysfunctional group of people that I call family, and I don't know what to do with them. Well, here's here's what I want to tell you this morning. I, I don't I don't really have a lot of help for you this morning with your family. I do want to talk to you this morning, though, a little bit about what a functional family looks like. But we'll get to that in a minute because I want to tell you why I'm excited this week is Thanksgiving. What I love most about Thanksgiving. Anybody have any idea? Yeah, you think it's a spiritual answer, don't you? Because I'm a pastor. No, it's the food. It's 100% the food. I I don't know who created all the food that goes around Thanksgiving, but it's what I'm excited about because they did a perfect job. And and this year is going to look a little different for us with Thanksgiving. Um, My wife's family, um, her dad's family, they typically on Thanksgiving all come together, all the extended family. And I'm not kidding you when I say there are like 120 people in this room, this long table full of food. It's, It's pretty amazing and the food is fantastic. But... Yeah, I guess she has one of these dysfunctional families too a little bit. There's this this lead guy, this lead brother in the family that said, hey, we're not doing that this year. Y'all find your own things to do. And so, yeah, it's a little, it's going to be different this year. But when he said that, he said, you know, we're not doing this. We'll see you in December. It's like all of a sudden, now we have to figure out who's cooking all this food because somebody's got to cook this food. Well, Those of you that know anything about Jennifer's family, you know her mom, she's a little older, she's got a few health issues. She really can't be on her feet cooking the food. It's just more than she can do at this point in her life. And her sister, well, let's just say her sister's spiritual gift is not cooking, okay? (laughs) It's just not cooking. I mean, she can do it, but she doesn't love it. And if you don't love it, 
well, you know what I mean. Um, so it kind of rests, because none of the guys know how to cook, it kind of rests mostly on my wife. And so if you know anything about my wife, you know I'm going to be well taken care of during Thanksgiving because she is an amazing cook. But, but here's what she did. It's hilarious. She, um, when she found out she was going to do the majority of the cooking, she text, texted our kids, and she said, okay, I'm doing the majority of the cooking. What is essential at Thanksgiving? My daughter, a 24-year-old, texted her back immediately, sweet potato casserole. I'm like, she's my daughter. It starts with sweet. All right. We love sweet. Now, my son, you got to understand my son just a little bit. He's a mechanical engineering student at Western Carolina. And so that's the way his brain thinks. A few minutes go by, but promptly he texts back this concise list of all the things that are essential at Thanksgiving. And, and I looked at his list and I thought, it's not really strategic because he, he listed all the things that you would just normally have at Thanksgiving, except for one. He put, he put ham, and I texted him back. I grabbed the phone, and I said, Andrew, this is Thanksgiving. It's turkey is what we have at Thanksgiving. And this mechanical engineer texted me this back. Right here, it's coming. He texted me back. Maybe it's not coming. He texted me back. Oh, it's back here. Yes. Ham is greater than turkey. <laughs> I mean, like, what, who else would do that? But, but I, what I want you to know this morning is that I love Thanksgiving because of the food. And if my wife ever gets around to asking me what is essential, which hasn't happened yet, just by the way, I think she might be in the room somewhere. So I'll probably get a text in a second. But if my wife ever asks me what it is that I want, it's going to be broccoli. No, no, nobody's celebrating that, right? It's raw broccoli. Now, now you have to understand, I know how to make, she knows how to make raw broccoli taste good. Mayonnaise, red wine vinegar, sugar, cheese, and you guys know, bacon makes everything taste better, right? Right, so broccoli. But... But I also, you know, I do love the food. But Thanksgiving is amazing because of the family, because we all come together and we jump around the table and we eat and we enjoy each other's company and we talk about the past, we talk about the present, and we dream about the future a little bit. It's, it's all family-oriented. So, so before I go any further this morning... I do want to say this. I do want to say this in, in regards to Thanksgiving this week. If you find yourself, for whatever reason, alone at Thanksgiving, if you find that, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not looking forward to Thanksgiving because it's just going to be one. Well, here's what I want you to do. At the end of the service, just stop by the 10-minute party, all right? There's going to be a piece of paper there, or if there's not a piece of paper, just tell whoever is at the 10-minute party, hey, yeah, Pastor Mike was talking about being alone. That's me, all right? At the same token, if, if you're sitting here thinking, ah, we're a family of four. We've got 
an extra chair at our table. We could add somebody to our Thanksgiving. Would you also stop by the 10-minute party on your way out today and let them know so we can pair up anybody who might just be one at Thanksgiving? Because if there's nobody, nobody should be alone at Thanksgiving, right? Especially not if you're a part of this church family, right? So so do that after the service if you would. But But you know, typically this time of year, we might would be talking about <clears throat> how to deal with being part of a dysfunctional family, how to, how to cope with it, how to, 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 you know, even how to just survive it. But as part of the series, The Generosity Gospel, what I want to talk to you about this morning just for a minute is how to be a functional family. And I want to talk to us in, in regards to this family, this church family, how to be a functional church family. Now, I realize some of you might be a little skeptical <clears throat> because your, your understanding of the church is maybe not all that functional. Some of you have been a part of a church that was completely dysfunct, maybe a, a borderline unhealthy and you've walked away from that with scrapes, with some bruises on you. Some of you might even have some scars from being a part of a, a, a family like that. But you've actually held on to hope because you're here this morning. You've come back to a church family. And, and I, you know, I, I think if there's anywhere on the face of the earth that you should find a functional family it's in this context because Jesus created it. Jesus created what we understand as the church family. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when you look through the New Testament and Jesus comes onto the scene and begins his ministry, what, what does he start doing? He starts putting together an extended family. Yeah, I mean, not just his mother, Mary. I mean, she orbits in and out of his um, of his extended family that he puts together. Excuse me, his brother James orbits in and out. We, we learn a little bit about James along the way. But Jesus begins his ministry by saying, Peter, come follow me. Andrew, come follow me. James, John, I want you to follow me. And, and we have what is the 12 disciples. Now, I, I do want to say this. I don't think just the 12 disciples were Jesus' family. I, this idea of 12, in any culture, numbers are significant. In, in American culture, I suppose, the number seven is significant. Lucky number seven. I don't really know why. But in Jewish culture, 12 was this number. It was significant. It expressed completeness. It expressed perfection. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament where there were 12 tribes of Israel. That was enough. And so 12 is this, this kind of special number. So when Jesus comes on the scene, of course, there have to be 12 disciples. If you, if you follow this, you know, you, you see that this is the way it works, because when you get to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you've got 12 stars, you've got 12 gates, you've got 12 angels, because Revelation talks about a place that is perfect. And so 12 is this number, but I don't believe Jesus' family was just made up 
of these 12 guys called that we refer to as the 12 disciples. If you begin to look at all of the story of the New Testament, he's got these guys, but then there's Mary, there's Martha, and their brother joins this group, Lazarus, and there's Mary Magdalene, and, and the family continues to grow that Jesus has around him, not only while Jesus is here on the earth, but when he's crucified, He's buried, he's resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven. He's still adding people to his church family, right? He adds Paul. You remember the story of Paul. Paul's on the road to Damascus. He has this supernatural experience with Jesus, and Jesus says, dude, I want you to be a part of my family. And Paul says, you got my attention? Okay. And he goes back to this, this other group of disciples and says, hey, I'm going to be a part of your family now. And they're like, yeah, you know, I remember you. You're the one that we heard about that was actually murdering followers of Jesus. But Jesus changed his life, called him into that family. Paul then calls into the family, Timothy. And they start planting these church families all over Greece and the Middle East and parts of Europe, what we know as Europe today. And, and it just continues to grow. This family continues to grow even until we get to this. If there's any person in the scripture that's kind of like a church father, it's absolutely Paul. And, and really, if you think about it, we are here today because Paul moved outside of just the Jewish people into the Gentile world. That would kind of be us because I'm not Jewish by nature or by family, but moved out and made us part of the church family too. And so what I want us to consider today is this in this last part of, of the series called Generosity Gospel, this idea of what a functional family should look like. Because if if there is anywhere that generosity should actually show up. It's in the family, right? I mean, Jennifer, she's not just going to take this little bowl of broccoli salad for me to Thanksgiving lunch. She's not going to take this little bowl of sweet potato casserole for my daughter to Thanksgiving lunch. She's going to have enough for everybody and probably enough for Another family too, so maybe you want to join us. I, I don't know. <laughs> but but um, let, let's look at what Paul says. In 1 Thessalonians, one of the first churches that he planted in the what, what is now the country of Greece was this little church in a place called Thessaloniki. And, and so a little later, he's writing them a letter, and, and here's a portion of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 12, it says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters. I mean, it's easy for us to see he's talking about family. He's referring to family. Now, I know maybe you've been a part of some churches before where everybody's like Brother Tom and Sister Susie. And I mean, that's just a little odd, right? I mean, in a couple of days when Jennifer sees her sister Millie, she's not going to say, hey, Sister Millie. And, and when my daughter, Caroline, comes home and sees her brother, Andrew. She's not going to say, hey, brother Andrew. That's just a little odd, right? It's a little weird. It's because family isn't generated with a title. Family is something you feel through the generosity in a relationship. 
And so Paul goes on and he says in in verse uh, 12 again, now I ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. All right, so so let's, let's pause on that for just a minute. There's this Greek word. He uses these Greek words for these next little three things. I'm gonna tell you the first one. The first one is kapiontas. All right, can you say that? Kapiontas. Come on, give it your best shot. Kapiontas, yes. Kapion. It literally means work hard to exhaustion, to acknowledge those who work hard to exhaustion among you, who care for you in the Lord. Again, in the original language, who care for you, who make your care their top priority and who encourage you or admonish you, who encourage you like they are your biggest fan. Those are the words that Paul uses when he writes this scripture. Those are all qualities of what? A generous person. That's the way a generous person thinks. And then Paul says in verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, let me ask you this question. It says, acknowledge those. What is the best way you know to acknowledge someone who is working hard to exhaustion? Right, let me show you what an exhausted person looks like right here. Um, got a little video for you. You see this, this guy? This is Tim on the left. And he, I, you may not be able to tell it, but this guy is exhausted. <laughs> All right. And then Rodney comes sweeping in to do what? What Tim is asking, what Tim is thinking is, I wish somebody would ask me, what can I do to help? All right. Rodney comes in, grabs that rock. Tim's probably thinking, what's Mike doing over there on his phone again? <laughs> but I was getting this video for you this morning. But I, I, I mean, that's what a functional family does, right? They begin with the question, what can I do to help? That's the atti that attitude is what makes it possible to do the next part that Paul says in verse 13. Paul says, live in peace with each other. It's pretty easy to live in peace, to be a functional family when everyone is doing their part, right? When everyone shares in the responsibility of the family. I mean, that is, that is the first level of, of, of being part of a functional family. It's sharing in the responsibility. It's funny, my wife didn't only just text our kids <clears throat> about what is uh, essentially Thanksgiving. <clears throat> she also texted her sister's kids. And uh, her, her sister's oldest, her, the 23-year-old that just got married, texted her back. You want to know what she said was essential at Thanksgiving? Cranberry sauce. <laughs> of all the things that you could choose, she said cranberry sauce. I'm thinking like that. This is not even close to being strategic. A few seconds later, a few minutes later, she texted my wife back. Let me know if I can bring anything. <laughs> She's taking some responsibility. Okay, it's good. It's good. My wife texted her back. Want to bring the cranberry sauce? 
She said, sure. <laughs> she said, sure. And I know what you're thinking. If you're not thinking it, I'm certainly thinking it. I think it's about time for the Miss 24-year-old sweet potato casserole. <laughs> and Mr. 21-year-old ham is greater than turkey to get a little skin in the game, right? I, I think so. We want to make sure they see this, this message today, all right? But responsibility is like just the basic level of being part of a family. Really, if, if she were thinking in those terms, she would have texted my wife back, my niece, our niece, hey, cranberry sauce is essential. I'll bring it right? But she's young. She's young. And we're going to give her some grace. That's why Paul goes on in verse 14. And he says this, and we urge you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. It says, be patient. It doesn't say, excuse it. It just says, be patient, give some grace. Like, like, like our niece, um, who's had everything done for her probably for the last 20 years. It's going to take her a little bit of time, but she's learning. She's going to get there. He goes on in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good and catch this part for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Bring joy into the situation. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in, and I would add, the family of Christ Jesus. Because that's what Paul is describing here. He's describing a functional family. You want to know what the basic or the foundational level of reclaiming the message and movement of Jesus is. That's our mission here at Mosaic, to reclaim the message and movement of Jesus at the foundational level. It is, it is being a generous church and being a part of the family. We were made for family. You weren't hatched okay? You weren't hatched. You weren't hatched from an egg. You were born, barring any, you know, tragic circumstances, you were born into a network of family. We were made for family. Probably, most of you probably know, I just came back from a mission trip to Italy. I just came back with, and this is the way I would describe it, I just came back with a family of nine people from Italy on a mission trip. And people ask me consistently, hey, Mike, of all the things that you did, what was the, what was the most amazing? And, and so I'm going to tell you some of the things we actually did. We actually pulled off an event at an orphanage. We went to an orphanage um, and kind of on the down low was the fact that it was also a safe house for moms and their kids that find themselves in, you know, abusive environments. And so we were there with them. We loved on the kids. We helped feed the kids. Our team, uh, Dick Wilson, if you know Dick, he brought um, 
some balls and he inflated them, gave them to the kids. Uh, Nicole Prince brought some matchbooks cards. Everybody else, I think, brought candy because you can never go wrong with candy with kids. And we just loved on the kids. We sang, we, we had a little program or whatever. We played some soccer and basketball. We just had a great time with them. Um, and, 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 and what a great night it was, but that's not the thing that I would say was the most amazing. We, we pulled off, we went to a, um, uh, like a factory with a mission, I think is how I would describe it. It was essentially this nonprofit that goes in, brings people out of prison, gets, gets them to allow them to come out of prison, and they take them to this factory, and they teach them. It's, it's less about the work, and it's more about teaching them how to interact with one another, how to be something like a family. All the while, they're provi- helping provide for their, their nuclear family with food and shelter and, and whatever they need, but they're there. And, and it was at that place of doing ministry that Trevor Haslett, um, one, of, one of our folks that went, engaged with this guy who's been totally closed off to the idea of Jesus, who's grown up kind of moderately as in, the, in, in a Muslim environment, but, but not because he wasn't Middle Eastern or anything like that. He just kind of a, adopted that, but he's been totally closed off to Jesus. And Trevor has just just a conversation with this guy. And we learn later that everything changed at that moment. But that's not it. That's not what really I would say is the most amazing. We, we got to provide food for a, like a Ronald McDonald house. It was called the House of Leonardo. All right, we provided food for them. We, we got to sit down with the mayor of the town that our sister church, Adullam Bergamo, is in, and just have coffee and pastries with them, which was pretty amazing. We were there for like over an hour, just kind of hanging out with the mayor. And uh, we prayed for him. We, we prayed for what he was doing there. We, we got to engage with the church that we've adopted into the Mosaic family, Adolam Bergamo. And we got to do ministry in that church. And, and the church that they planted, Adolam Montava, which is about an hour and a half away, we got to go there and do ministry with them. They had a special service just because we were there in country. And, and we got to do that. That still is not what I would say was most amazing. Some of you know, right before we left, I, I called Pastor Carlos and I said, hey, what, is there anything you need? It's like, you just have this great need and, and we can help in some way. He, he sent me a picture of his live stream computer. It was literally in pieces on the table that was, was there. And he had tried to fix it. And I actually found out he's pretty good with computers, but there was no fixing this computer. And so... I told our team about this. I said, can, can you give a little more? I mean, they've already paid for this whole trip. I said, you know, if you've got a little more, you can contribute. That'd be awesome. I, I sent a text out to some people that I know who are just generous people. I, I would love to have involved everybody, but it was so quick. And I sent the text out to a few people. Money came in. You, you can see a picture of me giving this computer to Carlos. Uh, look at his face. I mean, this guy is just excited. And even in the process of, of gathering the funds to get him this computer, somebody on our team said, you know what? We've got a virtually brand new, unused MacBook uh, desktop. 
You think they could use it? I said, oh my gosh, they can absolutely use it. It's stuff like this is so expensive there. And we took that to them. But all of that is not what I would say was most amazing. Let me show you what was probably some of the most amazing time that I had in Italy. It's this family. It's this family. It's doing life with this group of people. That became a family. And it was at this setting that it occurred to me. You know, we, we talk about communion at Mosaic. We talk about communion and, and we have a picture, you know, there's this picture of Jesus at this table with his 12 disciples. Again, I don't think there were just 12 there. And he's holding the cup in one hand. He's holding the bread in the other hand. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. It occurred to me at this event, at this dinner, that Jesus wasn't saying, do this, this cup and this bread, this wine and this bread, do this in remembrance to me. He's talking about this dinner, this group of people. He's talking about creating this environment of family. He's saying, do that in remembrance of me. So what makes a family a functional family? You see, this morning, I'm not talking about how you interact with the world. You absolutely can take all of this back to your Thanksgiving lunch on Thursday, and it has application. But I'm talking about this morning how we interact with one another in this space, how we become the family that Jesus created. What makes a family possible is responsibility. Everybody taking responsibility for the family. But what makes family desirable and functional is generosity. The always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else, part of that scripture, in parentheses, other than yourself, right? Responsibility alone, it isn't enough because people just perceive that as doing the bare minimum. Generosity is what creates the environment for a family to actually thrive. That's why for the last three weeks, we've talked about this generosity gospel. It's, and, and we've said, this is what it looks like to be generous in, those, in this series. Not just because we want you to help us meet the financial obligations of Mosaic. Not just because there are a slew of volunteer responsibilities that need to be filled. Not because there are a ton of jobs here at Mosaic to do. There are. There are plenty enough for all of us and people that aren't even going to Mosaic yet. All right? But we've talked about this generosity gospel because we want to create here at Mosaic a functional family. And we want you to be a part of it. 
by joining together and taking responsibility for it and being generous. So practically, what does this look like? For those of you that like to be practical, it's just two things, two simple things, and I've already talked about them. Lead with, how can I help? How can I help? Adopt this mindset of always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. That's why we put these cards in the seat and invite you to join, be part of this family. And I just realized when I picked up this card, you know what it says on the back right here? How can we help? And number two, recognize this. We all have different levels of abilities, but we all have the same responsibility. What am I saying there? You may be sitting in the room and you're thinking about what it is you make during the, the week at your job. You maybe make $30,000. And some of you may be thinking, well, I make $100,000. Well, good for you, all right? But, but we all have different levels in our ability to maybe give. And so we don't all give at the same level, but we all have the same responsibility. Or think about it from the mindset of, uh, like Jennifer and I, we're empty nesters now. So our time is a little more flexible maybe than someone who has young kids, for example. And so maybe the better way to put that is we all have, you know, a different level of availability. But again, we all have a level of responsibility. Those two things, essentially, responsibility and generosity, are what will help us create a functional family at Mosaic Church. And if you've ever had any doubt, or if you need a formal invitation, we want you to be a part of this family. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you for bringing this group of people into this room. It's this group of people that you brought here, you assembled here, and we call them family. God, would you help us, each one of us, to understand what it looks like individually for us to be generous and to be responsible so that we can collectively create a family here that is so functional, that's so amazing that people are drawn to it. God, I know sometimes we, we think about, you know, we re it's easier to recognize dysfunctional family. But God, I just pray that you would help us to work towards, to move towards whatever it takes to create a functional family here that makes room for more people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.